This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg and grab a stool. Come warm yourself by the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Carlos Cagina is the technical producer. Ryan White is the live stream producer. And we are live streaming on my YouTube channel, Strange Planet. The question is, will the program stay up on YouTube? I have no idea. Frankly, at this point, I'm not sure I really care. Uh, I will tell you this. um, This may be one of the most important programs I've done in my 20 years on the radio. uh, Because uh, I don't need to tell you, these are troubling times. We are in a lockdown, another one. Of course, the virus is real and people are dying. And it doesn't matter that the the vast majority of victims are people in their 80s and 90s. Every death diminishes us. Uh, It doesn't seem, though, as if anything is being done to protect the elderly in long-term care facilities. Even if our seniors survive COVID, many of them are asking, what's the point? They can't see their family. They're isolated. They're alone. They're depressed. Let's face it, the lockdown has been devastating. And I would argue, as I have a number of times, I would argue it is far more devastating. The lockdown, that is, far more devastating than the virus itself. Destroyed businesses, destroyed lives, suicides, alcohol and drug abuse, depression, school-aged children emotionally, psychologically damaged. I mentioned the seniors. Meanwhile... Our politicians, they still have jobs. They're not taking a pay cut. Amazon, Walmart, well, they're making hay. While small independent business people are losing everything. Writer, historian Don Jeffries, the author of Survival of the Richest and Bullyocracy is standing by to discuss the collateral damage of the lockdown. That's hour one. Hour two, unlike the... uh, vast majority, overwhelming majority of my colleagues in the mainstream media, I've actually watched hours of testimony from witnesses to all of this alleged, and I do use the word alleged, election fraud. I watched the video of poll observers in Georgia being asked to uh, leave a precinct 
while they suspended tallying up the vote because of a supposed water main leak, which of course we now know was a leaky toilet. We watched then in this video, poll workers haul out cases of ballots from beneath tables. This event, of course, coincides exactly with data showing a huge spike. You've seen the graph, a huge spike or dump of votes for Biden in Atlanta. There's so much more. Will it be proven in court? Will it convince state legislators to decertify the vote in their state? Will it overturn the results of the election? I don't know. Is there evidence? Hell yes. And so to call the allegations of election fraud unsubstantiated and to suppress such information for information is is beyond belief, quite frankly. Uh, this is not a conspiracy theory, although this is the conspiracy show. There is evidence. Yes, it's alleged, but I quite personally, I've seen enough. A retired U.S. Army officer and former intel analyst for the Defense Intelligence Agency, Jeffrey Prather, joins me an hour or two to discuss. Now, first to this disastrous lockdown and its effect on the economy and all of our mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, psychological, you name it, well-being. Don Jeffries is a critically acclaimed writer and author of several works of nonfiction, including Hidden History, Survival of the Richest, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, and Bullyocracy. It's always a great pleasure to welcome him back to the program. Don, how are you? Fine, thanks, Richard. It's always a pleasure to be with you. So this kind of dovetails quite nicely with a book that came out a couple of years ago, Survival of the Richest. So let's let's look at the economic impact of the of the lockdown. I think we know who's taking a financial hit. That's most everyday citizens around the world in particular. Who's making money hand over fist during this this lockdown? Well, pretty much the usual suspects that <laughs> that always make the money. I, I, we don't even know how many trillions uh, have gone to the upper tiers of the 1% because we don't know all the details of the stimulus package yet. Now, we, we do know that uh, things like uh, the hospital and the uh, medical industrial complex was paid off for losing business. And we know that they're getting a, a $13,000 bonus for every COVID diagnosis they get through the stimulus package, and they're getting $32,000 for every patient they put on ventilators, which often you know, turns out to be a death sentence. I, I've heard some doctors say that, hey, you know, 100% of the people we put on the ventilators die, but they do have a vested financial interest in, in doing so. So that's one aspect of the, uh, of the stimulus package. We know people like Dr. Phil got like $6 million or something. Why? I don't know. But I mean, it'd be best left for the people that make these things up. I doubt if many of the very many of the politicians even knew what was in there. But I think you know maybe later we'll find out more about it. But I, I saw something today that did jibes with a lot of what I wrote about in Survival of the Riches. But it just this is just exacerbated that situation. Uh, there was a story that broke today in the media that said 82% of Americans said uh, they don't have they couldn't come up with $500 in an emergency at this point in time. Now, that's very close to what the statistics were before. You know, there's something like, uh, I don't know, 70 or whatever percent of Americans didn't have $1,000 in savings. But it's obviously grown worse. And that's what you're seeing. The things that I talked about in Survival of the Richest, with the bottom half of America basically having nothing, having less than 1% of the collective wealth, making less than $50,000, uh, less than $27,000 a year, uh, just, you know, which is not enough to live on your own in most places in this country. 
that's just exacerbated because we still don't really know what the economic fallout is yet from this because uh, businesses are still collapsing every day. And we just seen in the last week the, the Staten Island business that uh, they finally, in, in some places, they're, they're, they're getting a spirit of, uh, you know, the Boston Tea Party type spirit where they're standing up now. Well, this was the restaurant owner. uh, It was a bar, and uh, it it was uh, something like, I'm not sure how many police officers. We had a similar story here in Toronto in Etobicoke with uh, this rib, a rib joint, and uh, 70 police officers, uh, some of them mounted uh, police, just an overwhelming show of force. Uh, And I think, don't quote me on this, but I've heard that many of them were paid duty. They weren't even on duty. Now, so a similar thing happened in Staten Island. His attorney went there. Everyone was being very polite. They uh, uh, they even uh, 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 wrote a ticket for the attorney uh, just because yes. he was standing up for his client. And you're right. It is people are. I don't know what the where the tipping point is. Yeah. You know what is going to be the. Uh, you know, obviously, we hope it, it's not 1776, but we need that kind of spirit, not the violence, but we need that spirit. Right. Well, it's at some point, I think it's it's uh, people are going to and you're seeing already in Staten Island, you, you've seen it there in New York and uh, uh, not too many other places. Unfortunately, we had the lockdown protests last summer, but they didn't really last very long. But at some point, and, you know, Richard, when this first began, I remember saying in interviews that I thought this maybe was going to be a good thing because I thought the people that run things and have misruled us for so long had finally overplayed their hand. I said, you know, this is, they've gone too far. You know, when you start doing things like close, it's canceling sports, March Madness, uh, the baseball, basketball, uh, you know, hockey playoffs. I mean, this, they lost an incredible amount of money. But even more with the sports obsessed section uh, part of America, which is, you know, a huge percentage, to take that away from them. That's like you know taking drugs away from a heroin addict. I mean you know you're 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 going to go through tremendous withdrawals, and then uh, at the same time they closed down on the movies, uh, they closed the malls, they stopped uh, concerts, things like that. All the cultural activities start. So uh, you have you know the people, the women, and you know, they go shopping, and anybody. So I thought you know this is this is you know really. It's going to impact people who aren't uh, people like in our world that aren't so-called conspiracy theorists who don't look at everything suspiciously. These are normal people that just like to shop or watch sports or attend sporting events or attend concerts or attend Broadway plays uh, or just go out to eat at fine restaurants. All these things were, were just taken away at the same time. And then, of course, you know, wearing the mask and all that was kind of icing on the cake. But I just – it's very disillusioning to realize how – how easily they were able to do this because there really was no backlash. And, you know, the, I mean, in Hollywood itself, you know, with the, all the woke celebrities out there, they are cheering this on. And there, you know, how many actors out there in Hollywood are, uh, you know, well, they can't even wait tables now because the restaurants are closed too. But uh, that, you know, or don't make, most actors don't make that much money. And they're all thrown out of work now for the most part and they're cheering it on. I, I don't understand it. So I think at some point, and what you're seeing is you're seeing like the salon owner in Dallas, and now you have the pub owner in New York, and they've had a, they've had a few other small business owners, and of course they're starting to question finally what I was saying, uh, some of us were saying at the very beginning, and that is, uh, you know, why 
aren't people questioning why the big ticket uh, places, the, the the chains like Walmart and Target and Home Depot and so forth, why they never were? They had no infringements on them at all. They didn't have any restrictions. Uh, yeah, can you were, under, can you explain or do you understand the, the the logic? And apparently there is a logic that uh, you can go and buy flowers at Walmart, but you can't <laughs> go to the mom and pop florist on the corner. Uh, in those in those areas that have that are shut down, uh, what is I mean? And you can't put you can't fill a ch- not ch- fill a church, but you can't put uh, let's say thirty percent of the capacity of a large church. Uh, mm-hmm. You can't allow those people in. But again, you can have people in Walmart uh, shopping for for non essentials. I don't understand the logic. Well, I don't, I don't even think they, they've had to justify it because they're, uh, other than people like us, and now you have an increasing number of small business owners that are finally asking it, why is Walmart open? They're do- and I'm trying to sell the same product. And I think it's pretty obvious. It's a survival of the richest type mentality. This is on the surface. You know, uh, it, Many people believe this is the greatest transfer of wealth in our history. I think Ron Paul called it that right after the initial stimulus bill came out. This is incredible wealth transfer from the middle class to the, to the 1%. And, but we're seeing the, the same kind of thing with the businesses because uh, obviously there's no logic, there's no justification for for if 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 this the virus is that dangerous that people can't shop or can't then what what sense does it make for a Walmart which can fit a lot more shoppers in than than the local five and ten cent store? If, if anything, they should probably close the bigger stores first because they just because there'd be more traffic in there. But uh, they haven't even had to justify it. And uh, again, people are not asking the right questions, but it, it's, it certainly falls into the so-called, you know, the theory, if you want to call it a conspiracy theory, that this is just part of an effort to further squeeze out those smaller businesses and make uh, America into just one big conglomerate, which is they, they've largely done anyhow. I mean, in every sector of our society, from the, you know, the, the four, four to six giant companies that rule all media to uh, things like, you know, consolidation of uh, – uh, of everything into okay, uh, Walmart, all the, look at all the drug stores and then uh, uh, dollar stores and so forth that uh, the Walmart put out of business all across the country. Well, now they put out, thanks to this uh, lockdown and the fact that they've been allowed to stay open, they and Target and Home Depot, things like that, although whatever you know, local hardware stores are left, I mean, how can they stay in business? But Home Depot can. It's it's simply not fair, and people ought to be questioning it, but they're not, and uh, or very few are, and it's just the the logic there. But it's the same logic, Richard. Is uh, you know where's the logic in in saying that uh, you know a uh, a Trump rally is a super spreader, but a Black Lives Matter protest is fine, or a Biden celebration is fine, but a lockdown protest is a super spreader, and it's it's politicized. There's not even any attempted consistency. And, you know, people pointed out, it's just like they, they don't even, you know, I saw Dr. Fauci was kind of questioned about it once and he just kind of stumbled. And <laughs> there is no explanation, obviously. Right. Uh, and I think it's important to point out that two things can be true at the same time. The virus can be real and it is, I believe, uh, but also it can be used for other purposes. It can be used as cover. It can be used as an opportunity, uh, as uh, Mr. Schwab uh, at the World Economic Forum said, it's an opportunity, a narrow window to transform the planet. It, and our prime minister here, uh, the boy king, trust fund uh, Trudeau, uh, also echoed that. And and uh, talking about, of course, the Great Reset. 
Um, and on the one hand, they're telling us that the Great Reset is a, is is an opportunity during COVID to re, to address some of these uh, economic inequities. It seems like instead of doing that, they're using it as an opportunity to exacerbate. I mean, if I didn't know better, it's almost as if they are deliberately bringing the roof down, collapsing the economy on purpose. Right. Well, that's that's what a lot of people believe. And uh, and certainly you have to look at, again, the way this is I'm saying that the virus. Was, I mean, I, I get this all the time. And of course, people I'm not questioning people have died. Obviously, people have died. People have gotten sick. But the, the point I think we have to look at, let's examine the so-called science out there. Okay, and I, I've tried to analyze and find these statistics. It's very hard to find, but from what I can understand, there doesn't seem to be any statistic out there that shows me what I think I should, we should be seeing at this point. And that is that however many deaths they are attributing to COVID, like in the United States, 270-some thousand, whatever it is now, supposedly, uh, we should be able to look at the deaths from 2018, 2019, and 2020. And there ought to be 200-and-some thousand more deaths total. Right. Excess deaths. Excess yes. deaths. And the, the statistics don't seem to show that because they're saying at the same time now, the flu is down by 98%. Now, you know, a skeptic, they keep saying, well, you're saying it's not real. No, well, I'm saying that the flu can't, is it, it, there's, I'm sorry, I don't believe in many coincidences. And I don't certainly don't believe that the flu has just happened to virtually disappear at the same time as this virus is out there. And of course, you know, the the cynical among us will say, you know, it, it, what we've been saying all along is, is that that doctor, uh, God, I keep forgetting his name, Roger Hodgkinson, I believe it was. Yes, it, yes. It, yes, a wonderful speech he gave recently. And he called it what it is. This is just a really nasty flu. And we've had, you know, I, th- I don't know how many years ago, we, I think we lost 80,000 people or something in America, the flu. Uh, it, it happens. You know, the flu strain, sometimes it's worse from year to year. And of course, it's always going to be worse on the elderly. It's always going to be worse on people that have, you know, underlying conditions. And that's what we're seeing with whatever's killing these people. The ones that are dying predominantly are elderly, have other underlying causes. So I think, again, as, as, as Dr. Hawkinson said, that the reaction to this has been absolutely ridiculous. It's the overkill, uh, and there's there's no justification for it. So, and it's it's created so much fear in the public, and it's outrageous. It's it's so irresponsible. Look at look at what Donald Trump was la- was was raked over the coals for trying to basically not panic the public. And and I went I wrote an article about that a while back where I showed that virtually almost word for word Barack Obama issued the same kind of statement to to hey we don't need to panic uh, during the uh, the uh, Ebola, which is a much far serious more serious disease by the way, uh, but uh, and he was praised of course for it. So what kind of society we have where we're actually so addicted to the fear porn that they've been throwing on us that we actually criticize a leader. I mean, aren't, aren't we the ones who worship, you know, FDRs? We have nothing to fear but fear itself. What? Why would anybody want to to panic the public? But this is, but this is what this thing is running on. It's running on panic. It's running on fear, and we're giving up our rights. Because uh, they, I think they finally found that, you know, if they want to push climate change or something like that, people are not, not enough people are buying it. But something like this, if you're scared for your health, if you're scared for your loved one's health, you're please save me. Give right. me a I, mask. I, Give me a vaccine. I've, main, I've maintained for, well, since March or April that this is in part, yes, the virus is real. People are dying. 
not denying that, but it is being used as yet another beta test. And they each time they run one of these things or they we we go through one of these crises, uh, they up the ante. And uh, this time they're getting pretty close to, you know, that toe almost crossing the line about mandatory vaccines. They're, yes. they're, they're kind of hinting at it and then backing away and then hinting at it and then backing away. Well, next time they'll push it a little bit further and further and then uh, guaranteed at some point they will uh, they will convince enough people through fear or whatever that there must be a mandatory vaccine. Now they're kind of floating the idea, well, it won't be mandatory, but we may have to limit your movement in some yeah. way. Maybe maybe you won't be able to fly without a vaccine passport. Yeah. And yeah. I, I know there are people out there who think that's fine. That's the way it should yeah. be. Well, your fear, you know, uh, doesn't trump my personal liberty. It doesn't. Right. My my freedom does not end where your fear begins. Right. Uh, Don Jeffries is with us, the author of Survival of the Richest, uh, Bullyocracy, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics. And uh, you can read his uh, blogs at uh, donjeffries.wordpress.com. Uh, it's Don Jeffries, correct? Not Donald? No, it's, and it's Donald Jeffries. Don, my apologies. Donald jeffries.wordpress.com uh, we're coming up on a break here in just a few moments and we'll continue this discussion through the hour just a reminder coming up in hour two uh, former dia intent intelligence analyst uh, jeffrey prather will be here to talk about the u.s election um w give me a quick you know look into that crystal ball and it's like surveying the damage after a hurricane has gone through and and, and we're still in the midst of it but what do you think it's what is the damage going to be gonna, going to look like uh when we finally if we come out of this i mean i'm talking economically yeah well i think you you touched on it a little bit before you said that is, is it, it, you can't help but think they're trying to they're doing this on purpose to collapse things because I don't think the economy can ever go. And certainly, you know, we're talking about things going back to normal. And people like me were writing critically about the normal before. The old normal was pretty bad, but the new normal looks absolutely terrifying. And, uh, you know, the, we, we had crony capitalism before. We had, you know, wealth disparity. We had all the unfairness, the rigged system and everything. But uh, at least there was more of a structure there. If you, we have no idea still how many businesses, how many small businesses are gone, and it's not easy to start a small business. These people are not going to be able to do that again, especially we found out on the stimulus package this week, it was publicized, another survival of the richest moment, where I think it was 5% of the companies uh, that were supposed to be for taking the, were took the funds in the stimulus package that were supposed to be meant for small businesses and including took over uh, over half of the funds. And those companies included things like Walmart and Home Depot, all the big, who were not small businesses. They took the bulk of the funds, over half that were meant for small businesses. So these small businesses weren't bailed out, obviously, and they would have to be to even stay afloat. And then what's the tax bill going to be? What's the bill? Of course, you had the riots that happened this summer too. We can't even imagine the devastation of the businesses that were burned down. I mean, insurance companies will cover some. But How long did it take parts of Los Angeles to come back after the Rodney King riots a decade. Right. 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 And so, and that's, and so you have that and I, I don't know what the, but I would imagine the, the, the devastation, the damage is much worse because it's lasted so much longer. And again, nobody has, our leaders are just sitting by ineffectually. They're not doing anything. And they're, you're talking about fiddling uh, while the Titanic goes down or fiddling while Rome burns, whatever you want to analogy you want to use, but clearly 
somebody should be doing something because I don't see how we can bounce back without something like that we don't want, like a universal basic income or something that that may have to be trotted out because. Well, I think that's I think that's. I think that's what they what they want. Yes, and, yes. And we'll talk about that when we come back. Don Jeffrey stays with us. My name is Richard Serrett. This is The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. I read this last week on the program and I got such a terrific response of people wanting copies of it by email that I thought I'd read it again and I will make copies available. This was actually written by, I I think I know the author and it was circulating in a number of the, uh, the churches here in Toronto, the Greek Orthodox churches. Um, and it's, um, it's a quote from St. Theodore of Studite. For it is a commandment of the Lord not to be silent at a time when the faith is in jeopardy. Speak, Scripture says, and hold not thy peace. Again, that's St. Theodore the Studite. And on November the 11th, Remembrance Day here in Canada, many Christians in Canada also commemorated St. Theodore the Studite, who left us with many pearls of wisdom, including the important quote I just read. The letter goes on. And how is our faith not currently in jeopardy? We are human beings created in the image of God. And while our humanity at first compelled us to obey the lockdowns, to protect each other, today our humanity is being intentionally attacked and diminished by dark forces. We are being told to cover our faces, to restrict our breathing, to stay away from each other, to socially impair our children, to let our sick die alone, to delay our medical checkups, to shutter our businesses and endanger our livelihoods, and to turn our entire lives upside down. Even worse, we are being told by our lawmakers that our houses of worship, our spiritual hospitals, are not essential to our lives, a direct attack on our humanity. And lastly, most devastating to our humanity, the lockdowns around the world are triggering mass poverty and unimaginable loneliness, pain, hunger, and untimely death. All of this is antithetical to our Christian faith. Since the very beginning, this so-called pandemic has strained credulity. Now, many months later, the real untainted data has confirmed both the exaggerated nature and the mismanaged handling of this crisis. A novel coronavirus, but from a familiar family of viruses for which we have some innate immunity, A mortality rate very similar to seasonal flu, as confirmed by many epidemiologists. A widely adopted testing threshold, poorly suited for live virus detection, but perfectly suited for case inflation. A widely adopted liberal approach to recording mortality, but perfectly suited for death inflation. A much-hyped, incredulous, and oft-repeated mantra that life will only return to normal after the vaccine. A vaccine that will forever alter the DNA of human beings, while supposedly protecting us against a virus with a 99% survival rate. A host of promising medicines and treatment protocols for the infected that have been suppressed and unduly rejected and kept from us by the medical establishment. Unfortunately, our Christian love for neighbor has been used against us, and our compliance with all of the measures to date and our collective silence has unintentionally and mistakenly signaled our willingness to accept this new normal. We should not accept it. 
Globalist oligarchs posing as philanthropists cannot hide their giddiness as our world is pushed towards the brink of chaos and towards mass mandatory vaccination and transhumanism. Our leader in Ottawa seems gleeful and dutifully participates in our own country's social and financial destruction with the same push towards globalist agendas that do not benefit Canadians. And local leaders accept billions of dollars in assistance while doling out funds in the hope that this assuages our loss of humanity and the attack on our faith. We should not accept this. Our humanity is our strength. Our faith is our calling. And the time has come to hold not our peace. Again, that was a letter written by a gentleman uh, who uh, distributed and it was uh, circulating in many of the Greek Orthodox churches here in the greater Toronto area. All right, we go back to my uh, conversation with uh, Don Jeffries, Survival of the Richest, now in its second edition. And the uh, website is donaldjeffries.wordpress.com. Donald, we were talking about universal income. And uh, I, I believe that that is one of the motive, motives for uh, destroying the economy. They want people to to be dependent on the government, mm-hmm. and and I think there's I think they're 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 definitely looking at rolling out a universal income. What are your thoughts? Yeah, and I, and I and what what's going to happen is that basically people, even though most of us have obviously that's uh, you know antithetical to uh, the American uh, ideal. But at some point, uh, people who are desperate are going to welcome that because uh, you already had uh, very limited opportunities in America, despite the propaganda. The the unemployment rate was down, but it was the artificial unemployment rate, the same unemployment rate that Donald Trump very correctly pointed out was phony during his campaign. Uh, It is artificially low because they only count the people that are presently uh, filing for unemployment benefits. So it's really not accurate at all. But uh, he started bragging about the same rates. I think he forgot how inaccurate it was at that point. But um, so here is when you have a situation like this where untold uh, millions of people have been thrown out of work thanks to these these lockdowns, uh, whoever – we don't know how many thousands of businesses closed, never going to reopen again. Obviously, you have limited opportunities. And one thing that's very uh, noticeable, Richard, over here, somebody – and I'm one of the few people noticing this, is is that while everything else has been closed, our southern borders remain wide open. They didn't close that. They closed everything else down, but that southern border is still there. People are still filing across the border. And certainly if Joe Biden does get into office – He's already promised to issue amnesty to however, I mean, he says 11 million. I, most of us think it could be as high as 50 million illegal aid. We don't even have any idea how many are here. But once you do that and you open the floodgates, obviously, there are going to be that many fewer jobs that are available already fewer because businesses closed down with more prospective employees there. And of course, they have every uh, incentive now to pay them less because we know what the effect of immigration is. It lowers wages and benefits for uh, everyone, especially blue collar workers. That used to be a a Democratic talking point. Yes. Uh, uh, Even Bernie Sanders talked about that. How and and many early union leaders during the, uh, you know, the 30s and the 40s and the 50s, Right. Well, even into the 70s, probably the 80s, all talked about how illegal immigration, illegal immigration, we're talking here, Mm -hmm. uh, drives down wages for for the working poor. Right. And and, and that that, but again, now because of political correctness and they, they, they view this as a prospective voting bloc. 
so they will not criticize. And that's that's one reason I think that my book Survival of the Rich is uh, you know someone like uh, 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 you know independent people on the left like Naomi Wolf loved it and a few others, but. Uh, I can't get the interest that, that that people should have on the left in the book because I think I do mention immigration quite a bit, and they're not they're certainly not willing to go there. But because of uh, you know Tucker Carlson has has asked the same question on his show that I've asked many times, and that is you can't you know it's one thing to just demonize with the Republicans demonize socialism this socialism that, but you have to offer you have to give an alternative. And if the system you're presenting, this crony capitalism, is not free enterprise, and it's not fair, it is rigged. Uh, so young people that are out there, they're looking. At, you know, they, they, what are they going to take? Are they going to take a universal basic income that'll that'll you know give them enough to get by? Because they haven't known any other world. They don't know anything else. They don't know that they you know that they could they could start a business at one time in a freer America. Uh, but that's not going to be possible because look, look at what happened to small business during this light. It was already tough enough. I think it was something like 90% of small businesses fold within a couple of years. Anyhow, this was before the lockdown. So you have to have a lot of gumption and you have to be a real risk taker. And most people, again, don't have that much wealth to put into a business, especially if you know what the odds are that it's going to, you know, that you have a very, you know, uh, the odds are against you being able to succeed in, in making a go of it. So it's going to be even less likely that people are going to take a chance on that. So that the universal basic income, especially to young people, especially young people that have either uh, gone to college and have student loan debt and uh, have, have not gotten their money's worth, to say the least, that are being offered jobs now that used to go to high school graduates. And all they've done is just require jobs, made almost every job that pays, you know, $30,000 a year. Uh, requires a college degree now. That's their idea of giving them their money's worth, and it's it's not because in many cases, uh, you know, their their student loan debt is higher than that. So, uh, well, they're gonna they're gonna wash away the debt, though. I I think Don, they're, they're gonna they're gonna forgive us our credit card debt and our mortgages and our our um, student loans and our car loans, and all they're going to ask in return is. Everything else that we, <laughs> uh, in fact, here in Canada, uh, Christia Freeland, uh, one of the she's the deputy prime minister. Yes, and, yes, and she's she, an she author, is, right? She wrote a book too, didn't she? Read yes, books. Yes, yes, yes. And I she's she's uh, floating this idea just uh, off the top of her head now, mind you. She's blue skying it. She's looking for ideas how we can uh, get Canadians to free up their savings. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, that's how we're going to stimulate the economy. Now, how, how many steps is it going to be from, let's find out how we can get Canadians to free up their savings, to cough up their savings, to seize their savings. And I think that's my worst nightmare that that is where this is heading. They will, they will, they will forgive us all our debts, but they will take all our property. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, certainly I've been advocating a year of jubilee for a long time, or at least a debt jubilee. But yeah, I, I, you're right. They, they, our government, our governments don't, uh, and this is why you saw during the uh, the stimulus checks. I knew when that was happening. I knew who was going to be helped out, who was going to be bailed out. We were lucky. We got that. Most of us got the one-time twelve hundred dollar check, and they just came out this week. And again, somehow there were Democrats and Republicans couldn't agree on it. So whatever stimulus package they come up with next, shockingly enough, is not going to provide any uh, 
check. And again, as if a $1,200 check is going to mean that much to anybody anyhow, but you're still not getting it. Uh, so yeah, they're not going to, they're, especially something like that, wiping out your debt, which is, well, that's, you know, you're going to expect something. You're, you're talking about a Faustian bargain there. They're going to ask you to sign oh, your yes. soul up for that. Well, yes, yes, uh, absolutely. That's my, that's again, my worst fear, this socialist dystopia modeled after uh, China. Uh, back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don Jeffrey stays with us. Don't go away. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. The um, hold not thy peace letter that I read earlier, if anyone is interested in a copy, uh, you can contact me through the website, strangeplanet.ca, and I will I will uh, forward you a PDF, and then you can uh, print it and distribute it as you see fit, and I would encourage you to do so. It's a very powerful and moving letter, and uh, again, Contact me through the website, strangeplanet.ca. There's a contact uh, page there, and I will gladly uh, send you a copy. Uh, I just want to go uh, quickly to a tweet here. Jim M. Uh, would like to get your take on this, uh, Don, because we were talking about this com- this demand destruction of the economy. And, uh, I mean, you witness the uh, – in, here in Canada, we have a deficit – Typically, our deficits are in and around, you know, 30 billion when things are tough. Our deficit is a trillion dollars this year. And uh, I mean, we have quadrupled the the debt that's been accumulated in 153 years in one year. And it seems to me like. They are just hell-bent on, again, destroying the economy. But uh, uh, a question on the, t- on the tweet here is uh, – on Twitter, rather. Is Justin Trudeau intentionally sinking Canada financially so that China or the IMF would have to step in to keep the country viable? What do you think of that idea? Well, certainly China has been tied to uh, a lot of this. I mean, first of all, being that the, this virus, whatever it is, you know, came from there originally. But so a lot of people think, and you mentioned uh, their society, and I wrote about that in Survival of the Richest as well. I, I believe uh, corporate America, much as corporations all over the world, because they're all multinational corporations, they're all globalist. They don't have any, uh, you know, kind of nationalist loyalties to whatever country they're in. They all admire the Chinese model. Because the Chinese really keep their people <laughs> under lock and thumb, and they have uh, succeeded in lowering expectations for the average Chinese person uh, to where they want to – that's what they want us. They want us to sacrifice, and they want this new normal they talk about. And the Great Reset is kind of a, another way of saying the new normal. They want us to get used to, you know, hey, no more. you don't need a single – single-family homes, that's gone. You know, apartments, you don't really need a big apartment. Let's let's have these little cubicles like they're popular in China. That's what they want. They want you to go to your little hole in the wall. They want you to be happy with it. Maybe they'll give you a, a very, uh, you know, censor, censored internet or, you know, a, a, a 200 channels on cable or, you know, it's all the same stuff. There's really no, no real diversity there. Uh, that's what they want, I think. And, and you, you'll go to work. You'll get paid just enough. Just barely enough to get by to go back to your little hole in the wall. That's what they want. They don't want people to be outside that. They, and, and that's why they hate small businesses so much, 
Because you know, to start your own business and succeed, that's how you circumvent the system. That's how you don't have to go to work and 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 deal with a you know a supervisor that you hate like the vast majority of Americans. I mean, that's what they do. They go to a job they hate their bosses. They hate the toil and grind. They hate being under the you know the the yeah. the, the, the thumb. Lives you know, of quiet desperation, as T. S. Eliot wrote. Exactly, and that's that's what most Americans lead, and and most people all over the world. But what made America great? was that middle class and the middle class was driven quite a bit by you know being able to start your own business but it was also driven at that point by fair bosses and uh, certainly viable unions and uh, uh, much less disparity of wealth so you had the right. heads of the company. there was a there was a social contract back then and it was yes. understood that you paid a living wage so that that one person could work in a home or sorry yes in the home and the other person could stay home and 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 take care of the children and such until such an age where they could you know sort of fend for themselves and and, and if the other you know and I, and I know that may seem like oh that's a you know uh, barefoot in the kitchen no that's not what I'm talking about uh, I, you know okay so then the man stays home doesn't matter the point is a living or a a, a, um, a social contract meant that your employees could afford to buy the products that you're producing. I mean, Henry right. Ford understood that. Exactly. That's and he he was raked over the coals by his fellow capitalists. He said, "Look, I I got to pay him enough to buy that. If if I if they can't afford what I'm building, what am I building it for? You know." So I wanted, but but uh, one thing you mentioned about when uh, you know one person used to be able to work, and certainly that's the way it used to be, but. Uh, and I, I remember saying this to Naomi Wolf, and she had never thought of it before. And I don't think people think of it this, but you know, when the the feminist movement succeeded in getting women out of the homes and the drudgery of housework and out of the kitchen, all the things we've heard of, you know, we they can be more than housewives. Okay, that's fine. But what should have happened? There should have been there should have been a huge positive impact if you were a married couple, and you, just the husband was working before. Once the wife started working. Shouldn't that have effectively, you know, uh, almost doubled or significantly increased the income of the household? Didn't work that way. No, it did not. It did and, not. And that doesn't seem to make any sense to me because what happened is it started lowering wages across the board. They just started paying everyone less because what sense does it make that two people, a husband and wife working now, are farther behind than a husband was just working 50 years ago? Right. That makes well, no and- sense. One income is going to daycare. Right, right. One income is going to daycare, but it's just even with that, you uh, you should have you should have had more discretionary income, and it just it doesn't work. Instead, we have you know an explosion of debt. I mean, back in uh, you know I know when I was a little kid, I don't know, I don't think my parents had a credit card, no, and I don't. No. Yeah, it's, it's it's just it wasn't. If you could afford it, you bought it. But, you know, I wanted a drum set for like 10 years. I was never going to get one, you know, but, you know, uh, what we need, there's no question. We need a great reset, but not the one that's being proffered right. by the folks at the World Economic Forum. We'll take one final time out, come back and finish up with Don Jeffries, Donald Jeffries dot WordPress dot com. He's a fantastic, critically acclaimed writer. Check out his blogs, Donald Jeffries dot WordPress dot com. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Survival of the richest, America's, uh, sorry, crimes and cover-ups in American politics and uh, hidden history, uh, bullyocracy, and uh, there's a new one uh, in the works, um, 
is it too early to talk about that one, Don? Uh, no, it's going to be out sometime next year on Borrowed Fame, and that's uh, about showbiz. So, you know, and I, I, I write about a lot of things, but it's always from the same slant. I'm looking at injustice, and that, that book examines corruption and injustice in the, the show business world, and there's plenty of it there. Uh, all right. Well, I can't wait for that one. And um, we're kind of sort of covering some of the territory from survival of the richest as we discuss the the disastrous effects of the uh, the lockdown. Uh, yeah. And um, is there a, in your mind, I know you're not an economist, but you cover this stuff pretty closely. Is there a point of no return? In, in other words, if we don't open things up wide open in the next X number of months, it's that's it. There's no going back, do you think? I would think we've probably already passed that point, to tell you the truth. I mean, I, I don't, you know, one thing, Richard, I, I said all along is that when and the reason I was skeptical about this pandemic and call it a plandemic all along is because, you know, if this had been a real plague where this was a crisis and, and, and the fear that's being transmitted by the authorities uh, was was a real thing. So that they were frightened as well. First of all, we wouldn't see them going around without their mask and not obeying the rules, which you see over and over again. They're not taking it seriously to begin with. So, you know, I think they're laughing at us. But the other thing that I notice is that, you know, when you're closing down businesses and all that, I would expect to see uh, a, a change, a sea change in the way uh, creditors Act when, 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 so. For, I know, for instance, I'm not getting any break from from my mortgage company or my credit cards or any. They're they're not saying, hey, you know what? We're waiving late fees or no, nothing. They're not cutting anybody a break. At least they're not cutting me a break. And uh, I I would expect if that kind of emergency situation really existed, they would say, you know what? You know, we're all. What's the slogan they keep using? We're all in this together. Mm. Well. <laughs> Apparently, the people that we owe money to are not into it all because they're not doing anything like, hey, you know what? We're going to, if we can't give you a debt jubilee, we're going to at least slash this absurd interest rate you have on your credit card. Nothing like that. We're going to waive, you know, we're, we're going to, you know, uh, cut the, the mortgage in half this month or so, but nothing like that. At the very least, you know, waive late fees or be more liberal about it. No, I, I don't see any example of that. So instantly, I was dubious because of that. Because uh, you didn't see it. And as I said, you don't see how many times do you have to discover that the, the, find these people that they're the most uh, you know, sanctimonious about this, the Chris Cuomo's of the world, uh, the Nancy Pelosi's. How many times do they have to be caught with their pants down? Yeah, Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and not only Gavin Newsom, I mean, at least the others. I mean, Nancy Pelosi tried to invent some absurd theory that this hair salon owner was getting her. Chris Cuomo doesn't even answer it. But Gavin Newsom lied where he said, you know, we were outside. Even, even after the video appeared that, that they were inside the restaurant, he still didn't address that. And of course, there's not a single reporter that's going to hold his feet to the fire because we don't. That's, that's another thing that the mayor of the mayor of Austin uh, was yes. telling people yeah. in a video to stay home and do nothing. Meanwhile, he didn't tell people he had actually flown to Mexico uh, where he was celebrating, I guess. I don't know if it was Thanksgiving or not, but yes. he was celebrating with friends in Mexico while he's telling everyone else, stay put, don't do anything. Yeah, well, r- rules are for peasants. They're like everything else. And, like, you know, I- I've always said that uh, uh, the reason why uh, companies why I have so much uh, employees kind of roll their eyes at, you know, at rules and, and things like that is because favoritism exists and it always has. And it certainly does today for a variety of reasons. And when you, you can't have a, a society built on, uh, you know, uh, mutual respect for each other if, if, you, if the laws and the rules and the standards of conduct. Are not don't apply equally to everyone, and clearly they don't. 
they don't apply, you know, to anyone who's wealthy. They don't apply to certain races because of political correctness. And and you can see they don't apply to political leaders. Um, I, I ask this to a lot of people that are, are old enough or maybe just old enough to remember uh, the 1968 Hong Kong flu pandemic, which killed over 100,000 Americans. I'm not sure how many Canadians. 1968, that's 52 years ago. And even people that are old enough to remember, like my mother, she's 96, but she or 95, rather, she has a, a memory like a steel trap. And she goes, yeah, I seem to remember something about it. Everyone went up, up about their lives as normal. There were no lockdowns. There was nothing. Right. What's yeah. the difference? Yeah, there was, a, there was, a, I mean, I, and I was a little kid, but I, I remember, I just remember my mom, you know, uh, uh, you know, just being, we were at a Chinese restaurant and just laughing and joking with it. You got the Hong Kong flu, you know, cause it was an Asian and, you know, stupid, but in those politically incorrect times, you could do that. And, uh, they were all that, but that was it. That's my only memory of it. I didn't know anybody that there was never any sense like that. There was, there was danger, you know, that we were going to catch the Hong Kong flu. I just remember hearing it cause it was the first time I guess I had heard a, a flu called something else, you know, rather than just the flu. But uh, yeah, I, I think that, again, we didn't, the idea that this is some kind of a plague, again, is just not borne out by the numbers. The CDC itself came out uh, a month or two ago and said of the 200 and some thousand deaths, however many they're attributing to COVID, 94% were actually uh, people who had other serious ailments. And that's almost certainly caused their death. So that leaves you with, you know, like a 10,000 deaths that, that maybe are to whatever this is, uh, which is like a very mild flu season. So I think, you know, people uh, need to try to, but I, you know, I, I get in so many arguments of this and people have embraced it and it's so politicized because it's all the people that embrace it are people who hate Trump. And I, I don't know why Trump is associated with the virus, but he is. And uh, so that if you, if you question it, like I do, you instantly get called a Trumpster and all that. It's like, well, this has nothing to do with Trump. I'm just telling you that the numbers don't make sense. They're, they're, their own numbers, they're telling you from the very beginning, they've been including presumed or presumptive cases in their totals, which means they weren't tested. We know the CDC directive to the hospitals back in earlier this year that said you list the cause of death as being from COVID, even when tests are not avail inconclusive or not available. And that's really misleading. And we know that under the stimulus package that hospitals are getting a bonuses, significant bonuses for COVID diagnoses and uh, for uh, putting uh, patients on ventilators, which is apparently deadly. So it's not only, uh, you know, it's, it's actually, you know, they may be causing deaths by this, you know, the desire to get money. And we know that I know having worked for the medical industrial complex all my life before I was unfairly fired a few years ago in a right to work state, uh, I've seen the sausage being made, and it's like, that's one reason I'm extremely dubious of this, because I don't trust authorities anyhow. And, well, but, one, of, one of the things that they're telling us is if we don't do this, our hospitals will be overrun, and now they're saying that with these inflated cases, and of course, cases don't translate into infections, mm -hmm. and there are a number of reasons why you know a, a, a case, you could be positive on a case and not be sick or not have the virus at all, false positives and, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, asymptomatic cases and so forth. Uh, but a, a number of doctors uh, in Ontario have raised the point that I think is important. 
that our hospitals, at least here in Ontario, where we've we haven't increased the number of beds in in the in the province for something like 20, 20 years, our hospitals are always running at about ninety five percent capacity. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There, yes, and this and this time of year, we always have people in the halls. Uh, you know, hallway medicine, I think they call it, or uh, you know, people that are. They, there's no rooms, so they put them out in the hall. This is nothing unusual. No, it's very misleading, and that, that's. It. But again, it's to say because most people. They may not know that uh, if they don't work in that system, that, uh, that 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 hospitals usually are at max capacity. So when they say, that, and then you have these lurid stories that that always you trace them back, you can't find them. They're just mythological. They've been going back to the early part of this year when there's so many bodies, we've had to pile them up in refrigerated trucks. We've had to make makeshift graves with prisoners digging. I mean, it's all these ridiculous tales that that they're talking about fake news, and they're still saying it. I still hear, oh, they're they're. And it's if you talk to people that are uh, that work in those hospitals, and I've communicated with them all throughout the year, off and on, and they will tell you the nurses will tell you, you know this is we, we're we're less busy than usual, and that's the way most hospitals are. Uh, they're under right. a lot of you know pressure because uh, any case that gets listed as COVID obviously is kind of under the microscope, and and they're sure. you know but uh, it's it's very but have, just understanding the medical industrial complex as I do. They would be the least people that I would trust, and they're the ones that are driving this, you know, this, this pandemic or whatever you call it. They're the ones driving the narrative, and I know, you know, having worked in that in that field, how dishonest it is, and the, and the, and the things they sweep under the rug. And we know that this, the the WHO and the CDC were caught lying in 2009 about the swine flu, and that's uh, that's how uh, you know Cheryl Atkinson, one of the few good reporters in the mainstream news. That's how she got she got fired by CBS News for reporting on that because they don't allow investigative journalism in this country. So they have a history of doing this. So why would we think they're not doing it now when they've made this a worldwide story way bigger than that? And it's I think we just need to be very skeptical, and we should all be really tired of masks and social distancing. And we should be asking ourselves at this point. It's supposed to be a new flu season. We're supposed to have a new coronavirus strain. So we should have COVID-20 should already be right now, here and now. Where is COVID-20 that we're still getting COVID-19? It makes no sense. The science <laughs> makes – but people don't question it. It's like, you know, where is the science here? But, exactly. You know, but, Don, yeah. Don uh, always a pleasure. I wish we had more time. Uh, we'll talk again down the road. In the meantime, I encourage people to go out and get a copy of Survival of the Richest – and bullyocracy, uh, uh, hidden history, and crimes and cover-ups in American politics, 1776 to uh, 1776 to what is it to 1963? Right there exactly. we go. All right, Donald, uh, thanks again. And uh, the blog is Donald um, Donald Jeffries Donald Jeffries WordPress dot com. And Twitter is at Don Jeffries if you want to find me there. All right, my friend. Thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. Take care. Thank you. Jeffrey Prather is next talking about the U.S. election. Was it rigged? Wait till you hear what he has to say. Former Defense Intelligence Agency intelligence analyst with more on The Conspiracy Show to come. Stay with us. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home. Long haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed basement with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker. Your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. 
This next hour is important and necessary because the mainstream media isn't doing its job. Not only is it not reporting on allegations of fraud during the recent U.S. election, it is in fact suppressing this information. You'll hear the news refer to allegations of fraud as unfounded. That's an editorial statement. That's opinion. It also happens to be false. There is evidence being presented before state legislatures, before the courts, evidence that has been turned over to the FBI. So these are not unfounded accusations of fraud. They are alleged incidents of fraud, and they should be reported as such. Will these allegations be proven? We don't know yet. That's why they're called allegations. To call them unfounded is, again, fraudulent and inexcusable and journalistic malfeasance. My guest this hour is here to address these allegations. He believes strongly as to why that there was widespread, orchestrated, systematic fraud in the U.S. election. Jeffrey Prather is a retired Army officer, ex-DEA special agent, former DIA intelligence officer turned whistleblower, and he was then targeted by the U.S. government. In addition to hosting his own call-in weekly radio program, The Prather Point, He's also a martial arts master and teacher, Apache wisdom teacher, kinetic quotient creator and trainer, firearms and horsemanship instructor, published author, screen actors, guild film actor, speaker, father, husband, and chaplain. Jeffrey Prather, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me. Let's uh, introduce you to my listeners, those not familiar with uh, you and your resume, which is very impressive. Tell me a little bit about what you did at the Defense Intelligence Agency. Uh, I was a um, Army officer uh, commissioned back in 1984, military intelligence branch. And uh, because I was already airborne uh, and spoke Spanish, I went straight into Special Operations Command at Fort Bragg. And worked as a psychological operations officer, which attached me often to the Rangers and Special Forces, Green Berets. And so I commanded an airborne operational detachment that would attach to them. And then eventually I went over to uh, 2nd Battalion, 7th Special Forces Group, uh, went on to uh, 2nd uh, Infantry Brigade uh, in Korea, and then I left active duty became a DEA, Drug Enforcement Administration, Special Agent, Special Operations, Snowcap Operator, Primary Farm Destructor, and uh, then was recruited into the um, Foreign Operations Group of the Army, which eventually became the Foreign Intelligence Activity, which eventually was rolled into the Defense Intelligence Agency uh, with all the uh, human, human intelligence branch uh, services where I was an intelligence collector, intelligence analyst, and eventually I was uh, the chief of global operations. And you turned whistleblower. What what prompted you to blow the whistle? On which branch and for what? So I was uh, a senior special agent with the Drug Enforcement Administration. Uh, That was my uh, full-time job, and I left active duty as a captain and went into the reserves, and that's when I was recruited in, into the DIA, just so that uh, everybody understands that. And uh, I was a um, pretty accomplished special agent. I had a early on in my career, I had a 4,000-pound um, marijuana seizure. I had a 2,000-pound cocaine seizure. Um, 
And I was working the extradition uh, of the first Sinaloan uh, cartel leader out of Mexico, which would have been uh, a game changer because up until then, they were able to uh, live in palatial prisons and get out whenever they wanted to. So extradition to the United States was a a total sea change, title change uh, for them. And so I was extraditing uh, Miguel Caracantero, brother of Rafael, who tortured and murdered our agent, Kiki Camarena. It's very famous. There's all kinds of movies and books and songs about that. Uh, and as I worked that case, I uh, found that uh, the, mo- the greatest difficulty was my own government. And uh, they just kept throwing up obstacles. And in 2003, Uh, With the second Gulf War, I was activated by the Army to serve uh, in the DIA uh, with their counterterrorism operations group because they wanted dual credentialed folks. They wanted people who were credentialed. uh, There's only a few of us credentialed with the DIA and also credentialed as a gun and badge carrier with the DEA. And uh, so I went to work doing that. Uh, but in the meantime, my source uh, was kind of left out in the cold, and eventually, because no one was working him, and he had risked his life, um, and so he was. He decided he was going to threaten to sue the administrator of DEA, which at that time was Michelle Leonard, and prior to that had been Karen Tandy, both of which I had worked with uh, when they were attorneys at the Department of Justice, and so uh, I had a cell in the Pentagon and the, and the DEA headquarters is right across from the Pentagon. So they asked me to come over. So I went over and I met with the uh, head of confidential sources. Uh, and he was all worried about this. And I was like, and I showed him the file and the paperwork. He was like, no, there's no way you can do this. This is not what we agreed to. He was trying to get a $5 million state department reward, which had nothing to do with the drug enforcement administration. But I made the comment that, but Michelle Leonard and Karen Tandy basically destroyed my extradition case by having me pay this source hundreds of thousands of dollars early, uh, which reduced the reason for him to ever come to the United States, uh, or rather when the extradition happened, for the informant, the source, to come forward and testify. And I went back to work and I did my year of active duty and I returned to my uh, DEA job then in Tucson. And uh, all of a sudden, I was under investigation by OPR, Office of Professional Responsibility, which is what most people would call internal affairs. And uh, they went after me for five years. They coached witnesses. They uh, perjured. They lied about me. Uh, They moved me to New York. uh, And eventually, they fired me one year from retirement without ever... 19 years on the job without ever having a bad evaluation. And both my Tucson supervisors and my New York supervisors had praised me and also had protested against uh, the treatment that was happening to me. And it took me a while to figure out what happened. But I had also been a liaison agent to ATF, Alcohol, alcohol Tobacco Firearms. And um, that's where Fast and Furious started, where uh, under Clinton and Obama, uh, they started running guns south. And eventually it turned out that um, while ATF was running guns south, uh, the DEA had made a deal with the Sinaloan cartel 
of, of which I was at, uh, extraditing a uh, main leader uh, to, in exchange for the guns, run drugs north as long as they were reporting on other cartels. And of course, you can't do that because you're a drug runner. Um, that's why when I would do undercover work or uh, you'd have to take the drugs off. So you had them in evidence when you went to trial. Otherwise, you're just a drug runner. Uh, so in the Niebla Zambada trial in federal court, DEA agents eventually raised their hands and swore under oath that they did indeed have a deal with the Sinaloan cartel to run drugs uh, north. And so um, it took me a long time to figure this out. And I uh, ended up comparing notes with other whistleblowers. Uh, Vince Safalu of the ATF was a great whistleblower and John Dotson. Uh, but eventually I figured out uh, what was going on. And it was a real rough time. I was never charged and I've never, ever been convicted of anything. But they slandered me. They released a false report. Uh, they leaked it. Uh, and they had uh, all kinds of uh, trolls uh, troll me. Uh, but eventually I uh, started seeing this same template used, and I've now seen it used with uh, Judge Kavanaugh. I've seen it used on President Trump. I've seen it used on other whistleblowers. Uh, and I started doing you know, speeches and TV shows and radio shows, and, and I would tell people what was going to happen. And people would ask me, well, how can you know? And I'm like, well, because it was done to me. Um, so that's kind of my uh, – my story. So I want to delve into this battle that's taking behind the scenes uh, for the Republic. Jeffrey Prather, my guest. And uh, before we proceed, how do we listen to uh, your radio program, The Prather Point? Uh, I'm on. I'm still on YouTube at the moment, Jeffrey Prather. I'm also on my own uh, website, JeffreyPrather.com, and it's J-E-F-F-R-E-Y, P-R-A-T-H-E-R.com. And I'm also on Twitter, Parler, uh, Instagram, uh, Periscope, uh, Facebook, and my books are on Amazon. Uh, and uh, so that's how you can reach me. Terrific. All right. I want to dive in and talk now about. Uh, Dominion voting systems, which of course is at the center of the, the U.S. allegation or U.S. election fraud allegations headquartered here in Canada. Um, and there is a report that in October of this year, the parent company of Dominion, Staple Street Capital, uh, was paid $400 million by a Swiss bank. Uh, that has strong connections, supposedly, with the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, what have you heard about this, and is there any any truth to it? Uh, yeah, there there is truth to that. There were several uh, hundred hundreds of million uh, dollar uh, payments, and they do go back to the Chinese Party. And that also goes, and also the Dominion offices uh, have been vacated, and the CEOs have uh, disappeared. And some of the machines uh, have been wiped, and some of I believe the machines in Georgia were stolen, uh, and that also ties back uh, to a um, Chinese company called Akami uh, as well. So these uh, Dominion voting tabulating systems that were used in something like twenty-eight states. The allegation, again, is that, they, that perhaps millions of votes being tabulated by these machines were flipped from Trump to Biden. 
do you have a an understanding of the the mechanism for that how the, the software could be designed to do something like that uh so that goes into um, cyber uh, intelligence and cyber uh, warfare. Uh, and <clears throat> there's lots of other whistleblowers out there now, uh, Montgomery and Bill Binney of the uh, uh, NSA. And I've worked with the NSA a lot, and that's the largest uh, agency in uh, the intelligence community. It's not the CIA like most people think. And they developed um, – uh, cyber algorithms uh, that could uh, change vote ratios and <clears throat> came forward and said that. And it was Admiral Rogers who was running the NSA when Trump came in, who went to Trump and said that, um, hey, they're, they are wiretapping you. And that technology uh, under the Obama administration uh, was taken and used. It's, it was supposed to be used against our enemies, America's enemies uh, overseas, but it has uh, turned around and been used uh, internally, just like the shadow net system in PSYOPs um, has uh, occurred as well. And uh, we see that pattern now over and over and over again um, happening. Uh, but that was uh, the investigation, I think, was in 2018 uh, for, through Staple Street Capital, and that's also been confirmed. And I just talked about this on my show the other day, um, and that's also been confirmed through SEC investigations. And those voting machines are operating in, uh, I think, 28, 29 uh, states, <clears throat> and uh, it was $400 million dollars. Uh, and what's really important to go back that and I analyzed this uh, on my show the other day uh, is uh, UBS Securities is a Swiss investment bank, and that owns about 25 percent of UBS Securities uh, uh, company LTD, which is actually a Chinese investment bank. And when you go into China, it's all uh, state owned state capitalism. It's not individually owned. So 25% is owned by UBS Securities, which is a Chinese investment bank. 75, the other 75% uh, is owned uh, by Beijing Guangxin, uh, UBS, which it comes, comes back to China, Guangdong uh, Com Communications Group, China Guangdong, and Kofco uh, Group. So basically, the entire company is owned by uh, communist Chinese uh, economic espionage front groups. In uh, 2019, I believe, uh, Democratic Senators Amy Klobuchar and Elizabeth Warren uh, both wrote letters uh, raising this issue, raising uh, security concerns about Dominion. And I believe even CNN did an investigative report about Dominion. This may have been around 2018. Uh, so why all of a sudden are Democrats and CNN not concerned about Dominion when they were so clearly concerned about it one year ago, two years ago? Well, you have to understand um, what is happening. And, you know, my uh, career was in the military. My entire career was under the executive branch, which was military uh, intelligence and federal law enforcement. And a lot of people view this stuff in terms of politics 
or in federal in terms of criminality and law enforcement. But um, uh, I've been the longest I've worked as as an intelligence officer. And this is really not uh, politics or criminality. It's really warfare. And after the first Gulf War, so we always have uh, all major nation states have officers uh, observing each other fight war. So we can see tactics, techniques, uh, and, and protocols and procedures. And uh, when the Chinese watched us win the first Gulf War and later on the second Gulf War, and we win them really quickly because we know that the uh, propaganda press is going to turn against us. There's always been fake news, but the modern fake news begins with Walter Cronkite after the Tet Offensive in Vietnam saying that it was a complete failure uh, when it was actually uh, – it, when it said it was a victory when actually uh, we beat them uh, completely. And that's the – and when you go from unconventional warfare to, to conventional warfare, eventually that's the transition when you make your uh, move. So anyway, the Chinese looked at America and they said, you know, nobody can take – uh, America head on. And, uh, and they're right because there's never been anything like the American warrior. I'm proud to, uh, have been one. Uh, so they said, we're going to instead develop a doctrine of unrestricted warfare. And this is actually an official Chinese, uh, document, uh, doctrine and unrestricted warfare is we're not going to get into a shooting war with them. We're going to get into economic war, we're and that's where everything's made in China. We're going to get into a psychological operations, informational war, and that's movies and TV shows and Netflix. Uh, we're going to get into a biological uh, war, and that it not it isn't just COVID. That is also uh, all the biotech uh, that you see that the Chinese are involved in, uh, patents. Uh, there are whole cities in China. Uh, designated to stealing patents uh, worldwide. So it's a thousand uh, bytes uh, by small bytes. Um, and so that's what they are doing here. And the most obvious example of this, well, there's just so many examples, but for example, uh, early this year, the FBI actually arrested somebody. They actually arrested Dr. Lieber at Harvard because he was going to Wuhan to get his $50,000 a month payments. And he was really part of the he was part of the Thousand Talents program, which was really an overt, uh, ingenious um, espionage uh, program. And since then, there have been 50 plus uh, Chinese in America either uh, arrested or uh, thrown out uh, for that. But w what you do when you want to um, have a source, and I've run lots of sources, uh, you. Uh, you pay them for influence and access. Uh, and that's what they did uh, with Klobuchar and Harris. And more obviously with, with Biden, uh, the connections uh, with the Biden family with China, you know, are very obvious. Uh, but uh, in particular with his son, Hunter, uh, they uh, – and this is coming from uh, Steve Bannon is working with the new free federal state of China. And uh, there there were the three hard drives released. And there were some pictures released of Hunter having underage sex with uh, Asian uh, children. And the uh, 
the clip at the end said, we're sorry to show you this if it disturbs you this, but this is what the communist uh, Chinese state does. It addicts people to drugs uh, and then it uh, extorts them uh, while they're bribing them. And so there's a carrot and stick, stick approach there. And the Chinese, that's exactly what the Chinese have done. And the higher your source is placed, the more access you have. And this is the same thing with Hillary Clinton, where her server, uh, not just in her basement, but in an air-conditioned doghouse with a fake dog uh, outside, was being intercepted by a Chinese intelligence storefront in Fairfax, Virginia. And that's espionage. And espionage is part of warfare. So the the entire electoral system then uh, is being tabulated by the communist Chinese. That's that's the the upshot, right? Well, there, there's a, there's a mix of players. Uh, you know, there's Venezuela, uh, there's uh, Canada, there's Spain, uh, there's uh, Serbia as well. Uh, but, uh, you know, there are lots of connections between all of these bad actors because the United States has uh, lots of enemies. Because even with our faults and sins, uh, we are the light uh, of freedom uh, for uh, the free world. But essentially what you're saying, yes, is correct. All right, Jeff, we'll take a quick time out. We'll come back and continue to discuss uh, Dominion, uh, U.S. election fraud and more with Jeffrey Prather, retired Army officer and host of The Prather Point. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. Next week, I'll be speaking with James Corbett from the Corbett Report about the continuing lockdown. And in the second hour, retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis will be here to discuss the election and the battle behind the scenes to save the Republic. And of course, that's what we're discussing here right now with retired U.S. Army officer and former intel analyst, with the Defense Intelligence Agency, Jeffrey Prather. And uh, once again, Jeffrey, just tell us how we can listen to the Prather Point. I'm still on YouTube, uh, the Prather Point, Jeffrey Prather. I'm also on my own website, jeffreyprather.com, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y, P-R-A-T-H-E-R. And I'm on Parler, Twitter, uh, Instagram, and iHeart and most podcast uh, stations as well. And uh, the books, Init- uh, Initiation, Boys Are Born, Men Are Trained, and Chase Terror on the Border. How do we get those? Uh, those are those are on Amazon. Uh, and, uh, you know, Initiation deals with the source of the problem is that uh, we don't train our children for uh, spiritual and emotional adulthood anymore. And uh, First Nations people really do that excellently. And so, uh, I use as an example because I was uh, adopted and I was also trained by an Apache uh, elder. And Chase is a kind of a fact-based fiction uh, on the border of um, an evil mix of uh, terrorism and, and tra- transnational drug cartels. Uh, we were talking about the Chinese Communist Party and its control of the Dominion voting systems. And I, I want to go back to September 2018 and an executive order uh, signed by President Trump imposing certain sanctions in the event of foreign interfe- interference in the United States election. 
just sort of summarize what that executive order was all about and what are the implications going forward? Well, the the um, clarion call of the left after the 2016 elections was that it was the Russians, Russians, Russians. And uh, you, you heard uh, we all heard that through uh, Schiff and through CNN and uh, everyone else, uh, Comey. And then uh, we even heard that in the Mueller report. Uh, and none of that was ever true. There was no uh, proof ever of that. That was came from uh, CrowdStrike, uh, which submitted a draft report they didn't even sign to the FBI that said that uh, the Russians hacked uh, the DNC. And that was never signed, never proven. And so going forward, of course, election security became a great concern. So Trump and uh, Department of Homeland Security started working on that on that. uh, And they put uh, things into effect to uh, be aware of that. And so that executive order uh, uh, activates uh, a time sequence and the military and the military's uh, intelligence and counterintelligence uh, to uh, be on alert for that and to take different measures. And that's very similar to the executive order that came out about human trafficking, that a- assets would be seized in human trafficking because the the deep state is run by the dark economy. And the dark economy is uh, weapons, human beings, and drugs. And so that's where we first saw that executive order come out and we started to see uh, uh, Mexico choose uh, legitimate uh, trade dollars with the United States and the new agreement uh, over uh, cartel uh, dollars, which was running uh, people and drugs. And uh, then we saw the same thing when uh, Trump negotiated from a position of strength with China because all the fentanyl uh, comes from drugs. And that's really um, chemical warfare. And drug use is really chemical slavery, uh, as is human trafficking. It's really a form of slavery. And so those are two very, very powerful uh, executive orders that are making a huge difference. Because, And what the key there is uh, with the second executive order that you mentioned, and I talked about both of these on my show, so you're really tracking uh, with what's going on, uh, is uh, that – it was foreign election interference. You know, if it's domestic, you know, it gets it gets uh, blown off as politics. Uh, but when it's foreign, that is a threat to the security of the United States of America. And Trump tweeted a while back that Biden was a national security threat. And I don't tweet a lot, but I did tweet when I saw that. I said that flips a switch that all shifts from the Department of Justice um, to the Department of Defense. Uh, And uh, right after that, we saw saw a lot of stuff. We saw uh, Clinton saying uh, Biden shouldn't concede. We saw a bunch of um, generals uh, that uh, were that Obama had replaced uh, real generals and real uh, federal law enforcement heads and real intelligence heads with saying to uh, General Miley, hey, you may have to remove uh, Trump, which is for us, the civ- civilian transfer of power 
is what makes us unique of course since since george washington and people used to ask me under the obama administration i'd be giving speeches like when's the military gonna gonna coup and i'm like we're not because george washington would turn over in his grave that's not what we're about we've never been about that and uh, uh but what has happened is we have become with our votes and voting machines going overseas into all these countries uh and many domestic traders selling out to foreign enemies um that's what that's what's happened but that go what is as soon as it goes over to the foreign area it's no longer the purview of the department of justice it's the, the it is the department of defense and so uh trump saw this coming too and that's when he fired esper and he put in chris miller former green beret a fifth group uh horse soldier uh and if you're you you or your listeners haven't um seen the movie uh 12 strong or read the book horse soldiers please do because uh green berets i'm so proud to have been on a b team uh, uh within months they did what the russians could not accomplish in a decade in afghanistan and then of course then he, then um ezra cohen watnick who i've out of this queue because Barr was going to indict him uh, came forward and uh was running jsoc and socom now uh and that's when we start to see the germany raid and that's why we see a totally separate and secure intelligence uh cycle uh to protect uh the national security of the united states including uh the election Okay, so let's talk about that raid on Germany, which has been uh, widely proclaimed, of course, in the mainstream media as a hoax. And just for listeners not familiar, uh, the um, the server, one of the servers for Dominion Voting System was uh, apparently stationed in Germany, in Frankfurt, Germany. The report was that... Uh, there was a raid on the, um, on the uh, headquarters there, and there was a firefight that broke out between U.S. military and, I, I believe the report was CIA. Uh, five soldiers killed, one CIA agent injured. So, tell me about this. Well, we're, we're gonna break here in about a minute and a half, and we'll, uh, we'll start it now and we'll pick it up on the other side. But, so, you know, why is the mainstream media so adamant that this never happened? And how do we know that in fact it did? Uh, well, the, the mainstream media has, uh, censored everyone, including, uh, President, uh, Trump. Uh, and it's, you know, very obvious they're saying there's no evidence of, uh, Corruption in the election when there's tons of evidence, it's obvious. And that's because, uh, the mainstream media is part of the propaganda press, which is part of the intelligence community. For example, um, the guy at CNN, um, trying to think of his name, uh, the white haired guy, Anderson Cooper, uh, Anderson Cooper, the only place Anderson Cooper worked before CNN was at the CIA. Uh, so nobody, I think, really trusts the mainstream media anymore. Fake news has become uh, a local title. But I think it's Seidel that uh, out of Barcelona and Germany was there. I'm not sure that there were any Dominion uh, machines there. But they're Smartmatic uh, and Dominion uh, are connected. And it looks like they're, they're all connected. Um, Smartmatic had a lied about an agreement with Dominion. And I think there's a side, I can't remember a connection uh, there as well. Uh, 
but uh, th- that's why that was happening there. That so if, if I answered your question correctly. Yes, we'll uh, we'll pick up on that point uh, on the other side. We'll take a quick time out and uh, come back with Jeffrey Prather. And you're listening to the Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. If you enjoy this program, please take a moment, visit my website, strangeplanet.ca. That's really the portal, not only to this program, but virtually everything that I do in this field. And while you're there at strangeplanet.ca, be sure to subscribe to my free monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum, Inner Sanctum. And also subscribe to my YouTube channel, Strange Planet. I live stream this radio program on the YouTube channel. You can also check out my podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. New episodes drop every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com to subscribe. And for less than $2 per month, Conspiracy Unlimited Plus members. Gain access to my vast back catalog of nearly 500 episodes. In addition, you'll receive two commercial-free bonus episodes every month. Go to ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com and click on Gain Access to Premium Episodes to become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member. Again, go to ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com and click on Gain Access to Premium Episodes. Jeffrey, I just wanted to pick up on that uh, that raid in uh, Germany. So what information do you have or what s- sources? Obviously, you can't name sources, but how do we know that this really happened? Well, I'm not going to get into uh, sources uh, and methods. Uh, I think I have laid out earlier uh, why the Department of uh, Defense is involved, why Special Operations Command is involved, uh, and that Special Operations Command had to develop and Joint Special Operations Command, SOCOM at Bragg, uh, JSOC at McDill, had to develop their own uh, line of intelligence. And when the raid was being briefed, CIA and uh, DOJ and FBI were not included in that because it's overseas uh, and because it is a threat to uh, security. But uh, I'm not I'm not going to or won't re- uh, reveal any proof of that. But multiple sources uh, confirm that it did happen. There is debate about uh, casualties, and I'm certainly not going to talk about that. I am hearing that it was um, CIA personnel that were KIA or, or WIA. But you're confident, based on everything that you know and heard, that this, in fact, did take place. I am. What do we or what do you anticipate going forward again with this executive order against foreign interference in an election? What else do we expect to see happen in the next few days or weeks? Well, there are patriots coming forward, all kinds of patriots saying, hey, I witnessed election fraud. And so there's kind of two teams that are going forward here. There is the Giuliani team, uh, which is basically on the defensive and looking at um, the law enforcement uh, uh, angle of this and going through the states and not really particularly worried about anything happening in the lower courts because we've seen, just like uh, General Flynn's case, just got tied up with Sullivan over uh, ridiculous um, 
just to keep delaying it. And we've watched the FBI perjure themselves and lie and, and sl- do a slow drip of uh, FOIA freedom of information requests. So uh, ne- neither Giuliani nor Powell are worried about presenting their whole case. Uh, they're fine with getting stuff dismissed because the the point is to get to the Supreme Court because the Supreme Court now has a slim majority of constitutionalists uh, there. So evidence that has not been uh, presented in a previous trial can then be introduced because when you get to the Supreme Court, it's never about introducing new evidence. Um, It's only about points of law if precedent uh, was correctly decided. On the military and intelligence, and, um, and so that's why you see the Giuliani stuff is mostly about election fraud, witnesses domestically, CONUS, continental United States, then OCONUS, uh, outside the continental United States, that's the Powell team. And that was Powell talking about the Germany raid and that w- and talking about Kraken, uh, which is um, a, another, it's a unit, it's a 305th, and it's also um, a algorithmic cyber weapon as well to real-time record the vote-changing ratios ah. that that people like Dr. Shiva have laid out uh, well, let me just, in let detail. Me just, let me just interject there. That's interesting. So when Sidney Powell, was an, un, an unofficial member of the Trump legal team, uh, when she said, we're going to release the Kraken, that that word has meaning. You're saying that that's the, that's the name of a special operation. Th- that is a cyber... Um, cyber uh tool weapon and tool yes and sydney powell has never been on the trump team that's that it's propaganda press uh false information okay so there's a domestic uh there's domestic there's conus and oconus there's law enforcement and there's military they're two separate teams focused on two separate things they're working together uh but they are separate all right. When we come back, I want to ask you, uh, you know, who's sort of wearing the, the, the white hats and who, who are wearing the black hats? Because Bill Barr, the De- Department of Justice, they, he said that they've, they've, there's no evidence of voter fraud as far as he can tell or election fraud. Uh, the FBI, we know, of course, what transpired over the last four years with them. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll dig into that a little bit when we come back. Jeffrey Prather, my guest right here on the conspiracy show. Don't go away. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. Jeffrey, once again, how do we listen to your radio program? Uh, I'm still on YouTube. I'm on Periscope. And you can go to my website, JeffreyPrather.com. J-E-F-F-R-E-Y-P-R-A-T-H-E-R.com. Bill Barr, Department of Justice, said, as far as he can see, there's no evidence of election fraud. Why did he say that? Was he trying to distance himself? Is he deep state? What's going on there? Well, Bill Barr goes back to the CIA. Bill Barr goes back to uh, Waco. Uh, I was actually in uh, firearms instructor school at the FBI Academy uh, for the DA back when Waco was happening. And from my um, First Nation uh, heritage, uh, you know, I said, I don't know what's going on there, but I know those women and kids shouldn't be burned alive, having, you know, uh, known about um, thousands of First Nation uh, women and kids being slaughtered uh, over the years. And he defended that action. After, and then afterwards, the FBI bulldozes the uh, evidence uh, into the fire, destroying evidence. 
he also defended the Ruby Ridge uh, sniper, and I knew that sniper from the HR, uh, FBI HRT team, Lauren Horiuchi. So when he came in, we were hoping that he had uh, changed, but he said we'd hear something spring or summer from Durham. We didn't hear anything, and then before the elections, he said we'd hear nothing. Uh, and you know, this should be the biggest case the FBI has ever worked. But all we've seen from the FBI after Libra's arrest was we've seen them um, cover up Las Vegas. We've seen them shoot shoot people and shoot themselves in bars. Um, and I mean, as far as I'm concerned, the FBI and the CIA. Uh, are done. And I've, I know the hero of the FBI gunfight in Miami, Ed Morales, personal friend of mine. I went to the FBI Academy, worked with lots of CIA guys, uh, you know, been, been there, but, uh, Obama really, uh, really destroyed those. They were, they were on the way out for a long time. A lot of deep state stuff starts under Reagan and Oliver North with cocaine, uh, Contras and cash, Arkansas, which is where I kind of got my start in covert operations. Um, uh, but uh, I, my information was that uh, Barr was intending to indict Ezra uh, as Q. And if you'll recall, the FBI recently said Q is uh, dangerous and uh, Dorsey and all the platforms um, censored them. And there's no evidence that they've ever done anything like that. And meanwhile, Blantifa uh, is allowed to murder, rape, uh, loot, and that's all fine and blind on and blamed on uh, right wing uh, supremacists. So, what aside from the military, and I suppose that would be enough. But who who else are on Trump's side? What about the U.S. Marshals Service? Yeah, I think the U.S. Marshals Service. I know some uh, marshals personally. They're doing great work, and how we can tell is they're rescuing kids. Uh, the FBI is indicting Chinese, just like they indicted Russians, and then they dismissed the indictments because they were Russian bots. Uh, but the U.S. Marshals every week is a rescu- rescuing more kids. Uh, so I'd say, you know, black hat, white hat uh, is uh, FBI versus U.S. Marshals and the intelligence community. Uh, and it's not quite that simple. You know, there's good guys and bad guys on both sides. But I'd say CIA versus uh, DIA uh, is black hats versus uh, white hats again. And part of that is because the CIA comes from the um, the elite coast, you know, Yale, Harvard stuff like the State Department guys and the uh, DIA guys are, you know, working class blue collar patriots uh, from the heartland. So how do you see this, uh, the path forward? Let's say, uh, aside from, a, you know, a military oper- option or a, an emergency powers option, uh, do you see a path forward through the Supreme Court, let's say, for example, uh, o- decertifying uh, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Georgia? How do you see that playing out? Let's Let's talk about the courts, first of all. Well, there, I mean, Lynn Wood is calling for um, uh, emergency powers, uh, you know, like uh, Lincoln declared uh, martial law. I don't see that. And, uh, you know, I'm not certainly, you know, as a veteran, I'm certainly not calling for uh, war or violence. There's um, waypoints. The next waypoint, the first waypoint was the certification of the election votes. Uh, and the next waypoint uh, is December uh, 14th or 15th, uh, where the Electoral College uh, 
voters vote. And there's 30 states that have Republican state legislatures that can uh, appoint the electoral college voters, which makes us a republic, not a democracy, which all the propaganda press and um, pundits and politicians love to call us a democracy, and the founders hated democracy. We're supposed to be a republic, and the electoral college voters make that the difference. So that's the next waypoint. Uh, and then after that um, is the Supreme Court. And then after that is the inauguration. So there's several waypoints. But getting to the Supreme Court uh, is probably because a lot of rhinos, uh, Republican name only, um, have been corrupted. We saw that right here in my state of uh, Arizona, uh, where the Republicans didn't do anything. Um and Governor Ducey, uh, Governor Ducey believes he has the, the authority to certify a vote, which he clearly does not. That has to be done by the state legislature. Right. So there are exactly. And so and a lot of these lockdown orders have been deemed illegal. So uh, I think at the Supreme, I think there, there's waypoints in between. But the biggest waypoint, which is still not necessarily an end point, um, all is not lost at the Supreme Court. But um, uh, there's a lot of evidence. Uh, well, you know, I'm not <laughs> I spent one year in law school before I came to my senses. So uh, <laughs> there's you don't you know, it's not a trial at the Supreme Court, but uh, but there's a lot of evidence witnesses uh, to present. Uh, and that could lead to I think it would go back to to lower courts. I'm not sure how that would would play out legally. But I also think there's um, some military people that would come forward uh, as witnesses. And uh, the American people, you know, rate Congress, are, I think, under 10 percent and the Senate under 10 percent. They have a high regard for Trump because he cares about them, but they have their highest regard for the military. So if you have um, uh, credible career uh, special operations and intelligence military people come forward. I think that's going to be uh, along with all of the evidence of voter fraud and along with the hundreds of testimony uh, from um, uh, canvassers and uh, and folks who were supposed to be able to witness the election. Uh, that creates a whole nother um, way to stop the steal. And uh, how confident uh, are you, or nervous, as the case may be, about about Trump prevailing? Uh, I'm confident. I'm I'm very confident um, that he will prevail. Uh, f you know, for down through the ages, uh, you know, the Xerxes thought that uh, slaying the 300 at uh, the hot gates at Thermopylae would be the end of it. Uh, Pilate in the Roman Empire thought that just another crucifixion will take care of this. Uh, Santa Anna thought uh, the, the Alamo falling would be uh, the end. Uh, this is far from over. How profound, profoundly put. Jeffrey, what a pleasure meeting you, and I hope you'll join me again sometime. Thank you so much. Again, the Prather Point on uh, YouTube and uh, the website Jeffrey Prather, that's P-R-A-T-H-E-R, JeffreyPrather.com. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
My thanks to Ryan White and Carlos Kajina and all of you for listening. Back next week with James Corbett from the Corbett Report and Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. And what I say in a whisper, proclaim from the rooftops. Move over, Aphrodite, I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.